welcome back, everyone, to the fourth episode and our final in the Advent series. I'm back, and I'm here with Trip. Uh, we're going to be talking about the final Advent collect this morning, just before Christmas. I mean, this is this is coming out just a, a mere few days before Christmas. The last week of Advent this year is about one day. So I hope you're all excited because I'm excited for, I guess, what is an early Christmas or at least what feels like an early Christmas. But before we get started, Trip, you do anything new this year for Advent uh, or for Christmas, I guess? Yeah. A, a friend of mine calls it uh, Cradvent. Uh, everybody thinks mm. Christmas and Advent are the same seasons, uh-huh. or at least that's how it's presented to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, do anything new? Uh, nothing really. I mean, we have a dog this year, so nice. uh, I have to tell people we did get uh, Allie a few months ago was on sale at Costco. She got a little dog Advent calendar. Uh, so each day there's like a new toy or treat for them. Man. And I know some people are listening to this and probably thinking that's ridiculous, <laughs> but it really has been fun. It, he like... He sits uh, like a good boy and waits for his toy every day. <laughs> uh, so it's great. Uh, um, but no, we did, and, and you you happen to be a part of this. We did go over to Durham to see Handel's Messiah. Mm-hmm. That's right. I used to go see that as a kid, actually. My parents would take me, and I used to think it was the most boring thing in the universe. <laughs> uh, I thought it was terrible. I mean, obviously pretty, you know, but mm-hmm. like... Uh, I had no conception of it. So this is my first time seeing it since I was like, I don't know, 13. And uh, yeah, I'm a little bit more theologically aware, <laughs> theologically trained. And uh, it really was beautiful. Uh, I don't know. What did you think of it? I when mean, we Katie and I had a, a wonderful time. I found it like deeply spiritually meditative. I don't yeah. know. I, I, uh, I would recommend it to a person as an adult who like wants a good time of like peaceful meditation in the Advent season. I don't know. I, I, it was it was so refreshing for me that like I came into church the Sunday after because we went on a Saturday afternoon and I was like the most focused I've been in forever. The- like just because I think I, I spent a couple hours just like silently meditating to yeah. scripture, which is what Handel's is. So for me, it was great. But while I was sitting there, I was also thinking, man, if I had been here before the age of maybe 20, I would think this is criminally boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I understand. I don't think I'm going to be taking my son anytime soon. But yeah, I think as an adult who loves Jesus, I was like, man, this is enriching. Yeah. Um, and a very, very cool time. So, yeah. yeah. It was awesome. And I mean, it, there's a reason it's called Handel's Messiah. It's not even explicitly like a Christmas or Advent. Yeah, you know? I was really surprised by that. I was like, oh, this is kind of the whole story of the Messiah. Right. Yeah. So it's really just part one that is about Advent, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, but the rest of it is, second part is the passion, you know, crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And the third part is resurrection, new creation. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's like the hallelujah chorus is not at the incarnation. It's not like <laughs> shepherds in the wilderness or whatever. It's uh-huh. at the crucifixion yeah. or right after the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, uh, yeah, so it's just a super cool and yeah, I don't know. I, f- I left thinking it was both special, but also I don't know how you say maybe sad to a degree that we live in a society, a secular society where like such a gospel presentation can be on display in such a powerful way, but it also can go over the heads of people. Sure. You know, yeah, we can yeah. sing these words, and what's being said is like it's not just like. I mean, this is true with other hymns that we sing, uh, Angels We Have Heard in High, Oh Come All You Faithful, people, songs people have sung on their lives. But mm-hmm. these are like not just 
things to say about Jesus, but these are theological claims, you know, yeah. like, yeah. like uh, that King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's like, uh-huh. you realize what you're saying, right? <laughs> uh, so anyways, I don't know. I, I thought it was awesome and meditative for me as well. And I'd say to the listener, I don't, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's cool. I mean, if you're into Baroque music or whatever, but also just like the whole thing is just scripture, you know, it's uh-huh. just, and each section is just, you know, it almost serves devotionally. Like I think you could do like an Advent devotional, just reading through the scriptures yeah. of Handel's Messiah. Yeah, so. I was stunned by the fact that there's literally no lyrics outside of scripture. Like it's just lyrics. Like it's just scripture. I mean, um, yeah. I was like, wow, that's hard, yeah. <laughs> but like really cool. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I don't know. It was good. Yeah, it was a it was a wonderful time, and like I would definitely recommend it as somebody who has never done this before. Mm-hmm. Like, and not just like listen to Handel's Messiah, but like that 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 time of like sitting in a room and having it perform where like all you can do is read the words and like be quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like yeah. it, it reminds me of the, like be still and know that I am Lord, like, yeah. like that kind of peaceful waiting and just absorbing scripture. So that was a really cool venue for that. Yeah. So you want to talk about the college? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, so we're here towards the end and I hope it's been helpful and life-giving for people. I know for myself, it definitely has been. Yeah. I've been really, before you keep going, like I've been really, enjoying the fact that like we're we're kind of pre-digesting to some degree these colics because then Sunday morning comes and we read them on Sunday morning I'm like I know this one yeah. um, so like I don't know it's been refreshing for me to like I don't know kind of be able to enter into the liturgy in advance mm-hmm. and like prepare myself to know what this collect is going to say so the first time I'm reading it isn't Sunday morning yeah. um, that's been really cool for me yeah um, or even if people you know maybe they listen to the podcast a few days later and they're like oh yeah I remember that turn of phrase and the collect or I remember this was an interesting thing to pray but then we just kind of moved on from it like sure. and they come back to listen to this like oh that's what was being kind of communicated in that and yeah. so yeah and I mean too like listening back through these podcasts I'm like it really is these are such like a diverse array of topics and uh we went from first week talking about incarnation and people were like okay that's that makes sense that's you know? I got that one <laughs> uh then next week we're oh now we're talking about uh scripture and read Mark learning and really digesting. And we're talking about, you know, our own salvation through means of God's revelation through his word. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. And then the next week we're talking about mortality death. and our death, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I do think it's, yeah, again, it's it's this reorienting of time. It's this locating ourselves on a map, you know, like we have our GPSs in life, you know, to know where we're at. And that's what, like, these colleagues of Advent are doing, you know, they're preparing us to move into worship again for another year. And that's just to say, like, I mean, some people may be hesitant or skeptical towards the church calendar. Like, yes, of course, you should be doing this all the time. Like, you should be doing this all the year round. You know, this is not the only time of year you should be thinking about the incarnation. You should be thinking about your own salvation. You should be thinking about your mortality. You should be thinking about the universal, you know, final day of judgment or anything. But this is like, it's reorienting us in, in the sense and like, if you forgot, like, this is what your life is about. If you forgot, this is where you stand in relationship to a holy God. Like here's now ushering us into this time. So yeah, it's been good for me. So nice. we have one collect left uh, on the fourth Sunday of Advent. So Jake, do you mind praying this for us? Sure. Can make me, some let me, observations. Let me get it up here because um, I have it here. Okay. So the, the fourth Sunday in Advent. I'm not even going to try the title, but yep. the fourth Sunday in Advent. 
Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And as we are sorely hindered by our sins from running the race that is set before us, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So again, this week is more particularly focused on the final second coming. I think when people typically talk about Advent, they the two the two Advents are what people are familiar with. You know, the first coming and the second coming, and we've included those other two here. So now we finally get to that other Advent that everybody's been talking about. You yeah. Know? And it's interesting. This prayer isn't so much about that as some other prayers have been. Sure. Uh, we may remember in the first Sunday of Advent, it talks about right off the bat that in the last day when he shall come again in glorious majesty to judge but the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. So that's very explicit, you know, yeah. language there. And then the third Sunday of Advent, the, the newer one, you know, talks about, let's see, what does it say? Uh, that we may be an acceptable people in your sight at your second coming to judge the world. So we get some of that here, but it's not so much uh, clarified. It's almost as if the, fir- the fourth Sunday of Advent assumes you've been praying <laughs> about that second coming, and yeah. now we're moving into practical application and stuff. So anyways, that's just some immediate thoughts. Any uh, observations here, Jake, or just things that stand out to you here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the first thing is that I was not expecting a... Uh, a perseverance mm-hmm. prayer, and that's kind of yeah. what this is. It's basically like, Lord, we suck really bad. Yeah, please help. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, help us run the race well. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's that phrase, stir up. You know, it's an interesting little phrase. I I looked it up. Originally, it was raise up. Um, about the same thing, but it, uh-huh. it does make it me think a little bit of like this can only happen through Christ resurrecting power, right? Um, stir up is not just like uh, move us, you know, yeah. not just like uh, move our hearts in a certain effective direction, but it is, hey, similar to how Christ was raised from the dead. Like we need to be raised from our own sins in order to live this life that we are moving towards. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, any any anything else there observation-wise? Yeah, um I like again it's the the perseverance note but the the admonition of our own sins yeah. like like this is a a very humble prayer of admission like lord with great might come among us why because we are sorely hindered by our sins and yeah. it, and it's stopping us from running the race set before us like yeah. that is a that is a repentant prayer mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and I think it requires you to be in the in a mindset of repentance to read mm-hmm. this properly yeah yeah I don't know where you know, the listener might be listening to this, but just that phrase, sorely hindered, you know, just mm-hmm. made me worth like pausing the podcast for a second. But what do, you, what do you think of when you think of that phrase? You know, I think sometimes we just pray these prayers and there's some, I don't know, some uh, some older language, some Shakespearean stuff <laughs> that we don't know exactly what to make of that. I think the original language was sore let and hindered. <laughs> we there's some really, King's English yeah, for <laughs> But sorely hindered, I, I mean... Just think about that. We are uh, desperately hindered or we are sorely thwarted, you know. Uh, I like to think about it. We are thwarted in all our attempts at self-deliverance. In some 
prayers through our liturgy, it'll say at times during our confession, uh, we'll say, and there is no health in us. You know, it's not just that you are like, hey, sin makes you struggle or mm-hmm. sin is, uh, it, it forces us to uh, not be as good as we could be. You know, it's like, no, you are like dead in your sins and trespasses. So you are worse than you could probably ever imagine. There is no health in you. Mm-hmm. Right? Cranmer, or, I mean, theologically, we'd say like on a scale of one to 10, how healthy you are, you're at a zero. Like, <laughs> it's not you're at a one or a two, like you're yeah. at a zero. Yeah. And no yeah. amount of like human righteousness can change that. So uh, it's this, this idea, this reminder that all human hopes of self-redemption are a delusion. You know, if we mm-hmm. can't do it ourselves. But I mean, the flip side of that, the beauty of this prayer, right behind that is this phrase, let your bountiful grace mercifully, mercy, sorry, <laughs> let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. So as we are sorely hindered, even so is the mercy of God bountiful and speedy. You know, it's like, I think I've heard it said before, I think Richard Sibbs, an old Puritan pastor said, uh, there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in me, <laughs> you know? Uh, like God's mercy is right there and it's right there to speedily give us that health that we need for the soul. So it's just this idea too that, you know, the mercy of God is grounded in something at the end of the day. And that is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, I, I like this phrase. It's from that uh, book on these prayers that I've been using throughout. But it's just this idea that, you know, you could have all the faith in the world in thin ice, but you would still fall, fall through that ice, uh-huh. you know? But you could have extremely fragile faith in thick ice and you would still not fall through, <laughs> you know? And that's kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about our trust in the grace of, of God, our trust in his sufficient sacrifice, you know, uh-huh. uh, through the satisfaction of God's sacrifice on the, cry, on the cross for us through Jesus. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's just that, that, balance and that contrast between being sorely hindered and grace and mercy speedily helping us is just a beautiful contrast there to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts or observations you got there? None that spring to mind, but I do like that. It's all like a race metaphor that yeah. like sorely hindered from running and then speedily help us. Like, I yeah. don't know. That's a cool motif. Um, yeah. What do you think about this little phrase here with great might come among us? With great might come among us. Well, it reminds me, and I know we were just talking about this, but it reminds me of the second advent, right? Yeah. Like this great might come, like like the Lord coming to reign. Like, yeah. like not necessarily like the, the, the sweet baby Jesus in the manger that we think of this time of year, but like the reigning king of glory coming to judge the world. <laughs> like, right. like that's what I think of when you say that. Yeah. Um, I think all these prayers are reminding us of that, of like who Jesus really is. Like Jesus is not... Uh, here's a reference for some people out there, a, a Ricky Bobby Jesus, you know, he's not, uh, I like my six pound, you know, little baby Jesus yes. in the manger. Sweet uh, baby Jesus. And it's not the, I like my Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because I like to party and I like to think my Jesus likes to party too. You know, it's like, there's a very clear representation of who Jesus is in the scriptures. And that one of those things is that with great might, he will come again among us. And so that's where I want to kind of take this conversation a little bit as we talk about this fourth week. I mean, we kind of read through that phrase, with great might come among us. And they're like, okay, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Well, I understand that. But like, this is not just a reality we should consider, but it is 
at the end of the day, what our hope is based on. Hmm. And if we lose this, we lose everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we lose what the gospel is ultimately pointing to ultimately. So yeah, Jake, uh, what are your thoughts about the second coming <laughs> of Christ <laughs> to judge the world, the universal final day? <laughs> uh, but when I say that, the second coming, or when you've heard that throughout your life, what what comes to mind? Man, there's a, there's a lot. I yeah. think there's a lot of cultural preconceptions as far as like what does the second coming look like? I mean, I think there's a lot of kind of rapture theology wrapped yep. up in that in America. Um, yep. I don't know. I think it's it's either First Thessalonians where he says like two women will be spinning in the or will be like working in the fields and one will be gone. Yeah, um, that's how it's going to happen. Well, I think it's um, the Gospels, but uh, um, First Thessalonians is chapter four is the rapture passage. Is the rapture passage. Yeah. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of then. But either way, like that's, I, I kind of think of that, but then I also think of like the revelation imagery of like the Lord coming on the clouds, like with yeah. a sword. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. And, and uh, what's the phrase? Uh, destroying the beast with the words of his mouth. Like, yeah. like this incredibly, I don't want to say incredibly violent language, but it's, it's conflict messaging, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I think of. I mean, I think of a, like a coming savior coming to basically judge the world. Mm -hmm. um, he came once in mercy. He comes now in judgment. Like mm -hmm. that's what I think of as far as like what's going to happen. By golly, there's a lot of thoughts on that. And I'm sure yeah. you're going to talk with us about it a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial, like yeah. lots of big uh, academic words. <laughs> yeah. 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 100% man. And I, you know, want to dive into some of that here for everyone. And I, I agree like the second coming has always been a mysterious and profound topic. I mean, there's a reason why Revelation, I think, is... If you just ask anyone on the street, secular, Christian, whatever, say, name three books of the Bible, uh -huh. most of them would, I think, I'd argue, I guess, would say uh, Genesis... Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Revelation. Like I think that's, yeah. that'd be around what people would say. You uh -huh. know, I think most people know about Revelation. Most people are aware of what it's communicating, uh -huh. and they either want nothing to do with that because that's just wild and bizarre, mm -hmm. or they want everything to do with it. <laughs> you know, this is like that's their lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I do think just reality of living in a post 9-11 world mm. uh, in a post 9-11 generation especially you and I this is a very big topic with the uh, what was a book series uh, Left Behind Left and behind. everything yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, so to take a step back you know historic Christianity has always understood this concept of the second coming as what's known as the uh, the eschaton there's a fun word for your December 22nd or when this is ever coming out or a good name for a dog yeah eschaton uh. <laughs> uh, and that just comes from a simple Greek word that just means the last or the end of something. Mm. I mean, it's it's not always in reference to the final day or the last day of judgment. It could be, you know, the end of a series of events or things, you know. Um, so, but when Christians throughout history have referred to the eschaton or the last day, they're specifically referring to three main things. And that is, yes, the second coming of Christ, number one, but also the resurrection of all believers and the final judgment. So this is how the Nicene Creed reads that people might be very familiar with. You know, he will come again in glory. He will advent again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end and that we look forward for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. 
So this is what we're kind of talking about today, that, that last line of the creed, you know, these last few lines of the creed, the, the life of the world to come ultimately, but what happens in the second advent that leads up into the life of the world to come. And as you mentioned, I'm sure a lot of people are aware of some thoughts, some theories, some conceptions about the end times. You know, there's all sorts of things about the tribulation and the rapture and period of the millennium. And uh, a lot of people actually talking about that right now with some, anytime there's events in the Middle East, people like to bring that up. Um, But I'm going to, uh, Put that to the side for the time being because, goodness gracious, this podcast, I don't want to be too long. <laughs> uh, I want to keep it somewhat limited. But what I can say to those things, I think we can speak well into those three specific things, again, that Christians throughout time have always understood the second coming to refer to. Again, number one, Christ's return. Number two, that the dead are raised bodily, some to share in the life of the new creation, others to be judged to final wrath. Then lastly, the world comes before Christ to be judged, which is partially picked up there in the second point. But just a few verses there. I mean, one mainly, but come back to Romans 2.16. Paul just mentions on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Acts 17, uh, Paul at the to the Athenians on the Areopagus, he says, God has fixed a day. He will judge the world in righteousness by man who he has appointed. And of this, he has given the assurance by raising him from the dead. There's a lot of other things. It's kind of pretty consistent throughout the New Testament. But the point here, I know judgment is hard to talk about. We'll, we'll dive into it a little bit more later. But it's through these events of the new age of new creation that is brought to its long-awaited day of fulfillment. Both Old and New Testament speak of this new age, this coming day, where an age of existence will begin where God will defeat all wickedness and oppression of sin and rightfully reign over his creation. You might be very familiar with something like the Great Commission. At the end of the Great Commission, what does Jesus say? Uh, Baptize and teach them all things I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to what? The end of the age. Yeah, to the end of the age. So it's like you're kind of reading that and you're like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I guess that just means forever and ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a long way. time. Um, but there is a coming age. There is a coming time where God will right all wrongs, judge the sins of this world, and resurrect it to his glory. And that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit more today. So is that helpful to kind of begin with? Yeah, or I think any that's a, that's a questions good, there? Um, no, I think that about sums it up. Yeah, Christ is coming back. We will be raised in, uh, bodily raised. The world will come before Christ to be judged. But so I don't know where I, I, I talked about rapture earlier. Where is the rapture in that? Is that is that before or after? Um, I'm sure there's different conceptions of that. But like, can we just talk about that for just a second before we move on? Just because I know that's something that a lot of people are going to have questions on. For sure. Yeah. Let's read First okay. Thessalonians 4 because uh, it's a pivotal passage. Paul just says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming, the advent of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet from God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, will be raptured together with him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
a lot to tackle here, yeah. Jake. Uh, but all right, Jake, the theologian, what, you know, <laughs> when you think about the rapture in this passage, what, what do we associate with the rapture? What, what do we think about that, here? that caught up together in the air that like people being floated into the air and like meeting in the clouds with Jesus. Like that's yeah. what comes to mind for me at least. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if this is the case in Northern Virginia, but I definitely <laughs> grew up in a world where there were like rapture talks pretty consistently or, uh, there were like clips you would watch or movies where like you just went to the bathroom or something and came back and then like half the church isn't there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> People have been raptured away. And so, uh, I, I don't want this to be too much of a rapture podcast by any means, but I want to point out a few things from this pivotal passage and often misunderstood. In verse 15, Paul mentions here again, the, the coming of the Lord. That That is that adventum domini. That is the mm-hmm. advent of the Lord. Behind that phrase is the original Greek Paul uses here is the word parousia. And when I say I believe in the rapture and I don't believe in the rapture, <laughs> I, what I'm saying here is that I, I think we need to recover this sense of the parousia. I, I, I wish we would kind of talk more about, and when we think about the second coming of the parousia than the rapture, mm-hmm. we're both using old words. One's Greek, one's Latin. <laughs> so yeah. I, I vote parousia. But parousia is a commonly used word in the New Testament. It's used 24 times. And it's used a lot in ancient Greek literature as well. And according to our best lexicons and definitions of the word, it just means the arrival or specifically the arrival as the first stage in presence of something. Uh-huh. So the coming or the advent, and it specifically is in reference to Christ and nearly always of his messianic advent in glory to judge the world at the end of the age. So friends, I know this is getting a little bit complex, but just key idea here is this coming as a first stage in presence of mm-hmm. something. So the word parousia is often used in reference to a king returning from battle. So think about that. King leaves the city, goes off to fight some uh, nearby enemy, uh, and the king is returning from victory, and the citizens of that city would go out to meet the king in open country Uh as he returns in quite literally triumphal procession. And here's the big thing. The citizens escort that king back to the city. Hmm. So Paul's image of meeting the Lord in the air, of being caught up in the air. Again, that he uses the language there. That, that, that rapture should be read with the assumption that the people will immediately turn around and lead the Lord back to this newly remade world. So what Paul is describing here is not that Christians will one day disappear into the clouds, leaving behind this, you know, earth that we just wanted to get away from all along. Uh-huh. That would be as if a king is returning from battle, people go out to meet him, and then he says, all right, peace out. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> <We're all leaving. laughs> uh, hmm. No, the king is meant to return to his kingdom. <laughs> That's, hmm. He is a king in the, only as much as he is sovereign over a particular <laughs> place, and that is the kingdom which he went to fight for. And Paul uses the word parousia to emphasize this. So the key thought ultimately in that is that in Christ's return, in this second coming, Christ is returning as king of his kingdom. He is returning as king of his new creation. And as king, he is ultimately right to rule and to judge those within his dominion. So uh, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about rapture, parousia, and Paul uses language to you know further emphasize this. But the, the point here is that God has always 
desired for heaven and earth to intersect. Mm. And what the second advent will be is heaven totally coming to remake this world, intersect in such a way with heaven and earth in a, in a resurrected glory that we'll come back to. So, so yeah, that's about it on that topic. Is that helpful? Does that clarify things? It does. You know, like, does that any room for confusion there? <laughs> well, I don't want to say there's no room for confusion because there's obviously a lot to talk about when it comes to the end times. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a very clear explanation. And I, I don't know. It seems clear enough to me um, yeah. to move on. Yeah, <laughs> I think the more important thing in that passage is the parousia. It's the, it's the coming. You sure. Know? And mm-hmm. I, to be clear, I, I do not, when I say I believe in, I believe in a rapture. Sure. I do not believe in a theological concept of the rapture because I think that's a that's not a biblical one and it actually comes much 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 later in Christian history hmm. uh, Christians throughout history again Christ returned to reign mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of the main point I want to get across there okay yeah great so I, I think the next thing we're going to talk about here is the fact that yeah Christ is coming but what is Christ coming to do he's coming mm-hmm. to judge obviously but uh, I'd like to talk about that a little bit more just because I think when you think of like judge, you think of oh, this is like the gavel coming down. This is like, this is, you're being sentenced. Um, I think there's a lot of fear and a lot of apprehension that comes with that language. So mm-hmm. is that something that, that, that doesn't feel like something we're really looking forward to. So I'd love to just kind of talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think some people are very familiar again with the concept of judgment. That's mm-hmm. kind of the the form of preaching and teaching that they were familiar with. You know, maybe it was their hometown preacher or their on the college campus, their fire and brimstone open air preacher on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a guy at Carolina called the pit preacher who uh, that was very much so his thing. So it's difficult to talk about. And it's not something that you'll hear. Sometimes you'll hear preached on all the time. Sometimes you'll hear preached on hardly any of the time. So <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts, but first let me read something from, an old confession, particularly a catechism. This is from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a beautiful list of 129 fundamental questions to the Christian faith. And I know the listener, they hear catechisms, confessions. They're like, okay, this is all the nerd stuff. But <laughs> I, I want to say this is this is one of my favorites because it just provides some extremely warm and pastoral answers to pivotal questions of the faith. And I think it's still applicable today, so I would recommend it. But Let's consider what it asks in question number 52. The question is literally what you just asked (laughs) in some way. But the question is just, how does Christ return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? This is what the catechism says. In all distress and persecution with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Hmm. I think the catechism does an excellent job here at addressing why it's important to grasp the second advent while we consider it during this season. It's not primarily so that we create fear within others. I think it should create some sober-mindedness to the reality of this, but it's not even so much that we get proved right in our arguments with secularists or atheists. It's so that we might be two things, comforted and confident, Mm -hmm. comforted and confident at this reality. Um, Just to remind ourselves of the biblical story at large, it's, it's always had a goal in mind. Uh, One of my favorite verses, Habakkuk 2.14, for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. 
there's always been this age in mind where those things would become true. The glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, when the hopes of resurrection would be fully realized for all of creation. That is the day of the Lord spoken of by the prophets, mm. where swords would be beaten into plowshares, where we will sit under our own vine and fig trees, and no one will make us afraid, as Hamilton quotes. Also, the prophet Micah. <laughs> the New Testament, though, of course, when we get to that point, gives fuller color to what this day will be like. Judgment is passed on sin in Christ's crucifixion and points to the ultimate judgment that would be passed on the last day. I, I like to think of it this way. The, the crucifixion and resurrection are the down payments, if you will, the first fruits of a further harvest where God will, where God will deal with sin and evil and flood the creation with his resurrection glory. Um, yes, we still live in an age where already, but not yet, mm -hmm. but one day this will totally happen, that all evil, sin, injustice will be paid for by Christ's judgment and then resurrected into glory. Another way of thinking about this is what has happened to Jesus will happen to everything. What has happened to Jesus will happen to everything we, we, we see. All of creation will be set free from its bondage to futility, as Romans 20 talks about and be set free to obtain the freedom of the glory of the, ch the children of God. So I, I think this gives us fuller insight into what the hope of eternity is, mm. into what the, a fuller scope about what judgment is. You know, when you read in your translations in the Bible, the phrase forever and ever, it's actually, that's not a literal translation of the Greek. It's trying to translate a Greek concept that doesn't make much sense when you first read it. The Greek just reads in English, unto the ages of the ages. Huh. So you kind of read that and you're like, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> it sounds like forever and ever. Sure, so let's yeah, just yeah. go with that. Sounds like a long, long time. Yeah, but I mean, Jake, you are familiar with the Bible. When you say something like the Lord of Lords or the King of Kings, what does that mean? Uh, so you're basically saying like you're the you're the most of the basically. Yeah. So you're like the you are the Lord above all the lords. You are the the King above all the kings. Correct. Um, so when Paul says like to him be the glory unto the ages of the ages, uh -huh. we're working within that same concept, right? To him be the glory unto those ages that are coming, uh -huh. where all sin and unrighteousness will be dealt with. God will flood the earth with his glory and create a resurrected cosmos, if you will. Uh -huh. Everything that we see will now be returned to. Uh, Ephesians 1 talks about God has a plan to unite all things in himself. When you think of all things, what does all things mean? It's all everything. things. You know? <laughs> think of a thing. Yeah, that, it's that, on the list. <laughs> yeah. So I think the ultimate Christian hope of eternity then is not simply some aloof eternal life where we will somehow majestically float up in the clouds and play some harps or whatever. Mm. But it is a very real and tangible hope that, th that there will come a day where, when this existence will be transformed. Justice will be served against evil and that will be overthrown ultimately. Uh -huh. So another way of thinking about all this is, this is what Jesus began at Easter is now accomplished at the eschaton. <laughs> mm. <laughs> to use some some two E's there. <laughs> what Jesus began at Easter is now accomplished in the final day at the resurrection and the judgment of all things. Um, so is that helpful or yeah, does that kind of really shape things well? Actually, I think, yeah, I, I think that, that, I think that paints the judgment in a much more uh, positive, but also, I, I don't know, encouraging light. I mean, that, that it kind of takes that, um, that, that feeling of like, oh, he's coming. Well, he's not, 
it, what he's coming for is the renewal of all things. Like this is ultimately what like the resurrection is pointing to is the resurrection of everything. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a much more hopeful note. I just wanted to kind of leave people not in a place where they're like, oh yeah, the judge is coming. That sounds bad. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing. And just even in that passage in first Thessalonians where Paul's talking about what often gets understood as the rapture, the point there isn't to make people afraid. Just a few verses later at the beginning of chapter five, Paul reminds people, if they were thinking of that, (laughs) uh, he says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation for our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's it's like, this is a beautiful promise to go back to that Heidelberg word. This is an unbelievable truth that God will come to resurrect all things and do away with evil and injustice. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. I'm very excited about it. But for both me and the listening, how does that to kind of like unstretch the rubber band a little bit back from yeah. all the way at the end times back to where we are now? Like, how does that, how does that shape now? How does that change today or yeah. the Advent season for us as we meditate on that? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean... I think it should make us unbelievably hopeful. Hmm. Uh, There's a way of understanding the gospel. N.T. Wright talks about this a lot. This concept of, it's going to sound fancy, friends, but inaugurated eschatology Ah. is the concept. You know, whenever Allie and her uh, coworker medical friends start using fancy medical words, I just drop inaugurated eschatology (laughs) on them. They think I'm really smart now. Uh, But what that just, what that concept means is what Jesus is doing in his ministry and what he's doing in his resurrection is that coming age has now broken into the present. It has been inaugurated quite literally by the kingdom of God coming into the present time. Mm. So that eschatology, that eschaton that we're awaiting for, that final day, resurrection of all things, justice being done, has broken into the present. And now we are living into that as we live our lives as Christians. Mm. So it's just, again, an unbelievably hopeful message. I I've heard that final day, maybe similar. Tim Keller used to talk about this to waking up from a dream. Mm-hmm. He used to talk about this idea or this time where he would have a p- particular dream every now and then, and it was a terrible dream. Um, and maybe someone's had a similar one where his wife, Kathy, actually died in the dream. And it was awful. He was horrifically anxious <laughs> during mm-hmm. that dream. But then he woke up and he turned and there she was. <laughs> and there's this kind of like breath of hope back into his lungs. Like, oh, this is this is the really real thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like in that moment, yes. It's not that dreams are, it's not that we're living in a matrix world and like all this is just make believe, you know? It's like, no, that, that was real in that moment. Um, but this is what's the true, the true reality that we've been waiting for, waiting for. And everything in that dream is now makes sense mm. in where I am now. Uh, the Russian novelist Dostoevsky sums up this hope really well in one of his novels really beautifully, but he just said, it's one of my favorite quotes, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, and that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. Really powerful quote there. And I think that's what we see, right, in Revelation 21, 
where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death and pain mm. will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So I think in this unbelievably hopeful state, I'll just leave people with a few thoughts here. I've taught this before. And these are three things I say. I uh, just want to communicate. Number one, your life matters. Your life incredibly matters. This is a huge emphasis of the first and second advent mm -hmm. of the incarnation and resurrection that Christ took on a body. And guess what? Christ still has a body. <laughs> uh, he doesn't go up in the clouds and become some ephemeral whatever. You know, he, mm -hmm. he still has a body reigning, ruling and reigning, ready to return. The New Testament speaks as if the promises of heaven are available to you on a daily basis. Each day is another day to experience more of God, more of grace, more of resurrection and new creation. The biblical story invites us to live into that rather than merely await for eternity. Every day you have another chance to experience more of that resurrection life. Paul talks about in Philippians 3, we press on to make those things our own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So I just want to communicate that your life desperately matters. And the way um, we see that is through this message of Advent. Number two is just your work matters. Clearly throughout all of scripture, work is actually a beautifully good thing. It exists, guess what, before the fall and continues in some fashion in the new creation. In Revelation 21, you see the kings of the earth bringing their gifts to the city. So there is still cultural development happening happening there. So beauty matters. Doing things well and redemptively matters. Uh, and then lastly, I just want to communicate your Bible matters. Hmm. My last challenge to people as they get close to January 1 coming or uh, the Christmas season ending at Epiphany <laughs> is to, yeah, really consider what are you, what's your scripture intake going to look like in 2024? You know, this isn't dramatic or profound, but it's to challenge people listening to pick up and read. Read this story over and over and over again. The more we inhabit the story, the more this story begins to shape us. And we start to look like him and reveal that story for which the world was made. So those are a few thoughts. I think you'd plug anything else there? Um, I think I'm good. Okay. But I would say, I think one of the really delightful things that I've been kind of living into in this season has been kind of the, in the first advent, the way that the first advent was looked forward to by the prophets in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. and then how we are now in their position look for, looking forward to the second advent, mm -hmm. like that position of hope and expectation and wonder, like what is this thing going to look like? Mm -hmm. uh, we see through a glass dimly, like like this thing is the, the coming of Christ is going to be incredible. How incredible? We can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, like, like so incredible and powerful, so changing not only for ourselves but for the world around us that we, we, we cannot imagine it, yeah. but that's the best we can do. So I would encourage people like, yeah, like delight in that. Like meditate on those ideas. Be excited for the coming Christ. Like, yeah. like that second advent is incredible and it is the thing that our our faith leads us to that. That is our great hope. Like that he's coming back. Yeah. So I think in the Advent season, at least for me, like that is a huge takeaway that has been kind of present with me this season. Right. And it just reminds me going back to Handel's Messiah at the end of that uh, performance. It, there's this long 
recitation of First Corinthians 15, mm. which is all about mm-hmm. resurrection and yeah, resurrected yeah, bodies. Yeah. And what exactly would that be like? And to your point, like we are kind of in a similar place where like, okay, I, I can read that, but goodness gracious, I don't totally understand that. But First Corinthians 15, this is right at the end of uh, Handel's Messiah. Uh, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. But what I remember, if I remember correctly from that performance, the soloist like sings, we shall be changed, like a yeah. hundred yeah. times in a row, yeah. just to like yeah, yeah. further emphasize that. We shall be changed. We shall be changed. We shall be changed. And I don't know who's listening to this, and maybe it's late in the Christmas season, and times are hard and maybe you're just working paycheck to paycheck or maybe you haven't gotten that gift for somebody or maybe family really sucks situation and maybe you've got a recent diagnosis that's really scary but just that promise of resurrection we shall be changed we shall be changed that there is a ultimate hope of resurrection that Christ has paid for on the cross and given us hope for through his resurrection and victory in his resurrection that we can live into now and hope for for the second advent so Mm. yeah so just what I mean, and just a reminder too, hey, Christmas actually begins on the 25th. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't end at 3 p.m. on the 25th if you had lunch <laughs> and slept or whatever. Yeah. And so carry this on through the next um, 12 days through Christmas. You know, this mm-hmm. is meant to be a season that leads us up to epiphany and living into the realities of Christ revealed to us and to the world. So, yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, um, I think that's all I got. I'm grateful for people listening through this series, and I hope it was helpful. And, of course, would love any discourse or dialogue with those who have questions or anything. But we do, again, just want to further emphasize this beautiful truth of the Advent season, that Christ has come, that he has come in the flesh. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father, as John 1 talks about. And then he's come into our hearts. He has made a way through his word to come in and comfort hearts of stone and given us hearts of flesh. And then he will come again. We will see our Lord and Savior when this mortal life finishes and we will enter in to be with our Savior. And then ultimately, we ultimately await for a resurrected world. We await for heaven and earth to intersect again and for justice to be done on injustice and for he to wipe away every tear. And as Dostoevsky talked about, for all the injustices of the world to make sense in some way. So I love how he talks about there at the beginning. All of these things is is a childlike belief. You know, mm. it's this truth that I keep coming back to is a mature understanding of all these things. A mature theology is a childlike theology. And I hope people as they've listened to us these last few four weeks come to that last conclusion. That as you go into the twenty fifth, like go into it as a child. Go into it as a child that just delights in the joy of maybe it's seeing your niece uh, smile at opening a present. Maybe it's uh, making your spouse happy by just spending time with them. Uh, maybe it's even, I don't know, I got a dog. and <laughs> Go go outside and play for him. Just have this childlike faith that um, produces a freedom to uh, for us to enjoy these days ahead. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you think there'll be like a divine holiday on the day when Jesus comes back? <laughs> like in the new heavens and the new earth? We won't celebrate Christmas because that's the first advent. We'll just have like a second advent day. Just yeah. imagine that, like <laughs> better Christmas. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't I know. I think contemplating all these things just helps us do that, what the colic says, to stir up the Lord's mm. power in us. Um, so I do want to close. I'll pray the colic one more time, and then we'll, we'll be done. All right. So let's pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. 
as we are sorely hindered by our sins from running the race that is set before us, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.